They've been powerfully used by God to send people out, to launch people out into the mission field, really all around the world. But one of the things that are coming up in our next one, which is, mark your calendar, March 13th through 15th. We're going to be, on Friday night, we're going to be having, on the 13th, we're going to have a launching of some new families that are looking towards serving the Lord far from here. It's part of the launch. But Saturday is going to be a different kind of a day than what we've had in past years. Our heart really on this launch impact conference is that we would launch you into the area where God has called you here, right here in Eden Prairie or in the Twin Cities. That we'd understand better how to launch into the world that God's called us because not everybody's been called to be a pastor or a missionary. And how do we just, it's good to launch those who are going far away because we want the gospel to go all, all around the world. But it's really important as well that we launch into and are prepared to launch into the world that God has called us to serve in here, right here in Minnesota. So that's going to be on Saturday. And that's our heart. So please put in your calendar. Friday night there's going to be a dinner. Doors open at 5.30. You're going to have a dinner here. And then Saturday will be a day-long seminar during the, like the 9 to 3 time. And then Sunday morning we'll have our commissioning and our sending out. Our heart is that we could be more effective as Christ ambassadors right where we live. I want to launch you into that, okay? So March 13th through 15th, please mark that down on your calendars. Let's pray as we get going this morning. Father, we want to be good soil that your word drops into and takes fruit. Not that just we hear it and just get on with our lives, but God, that your word would drop into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 2020, our year of freedom. In this year, we've been looking at the life of David. Recently, we've been looking at him. And boy, I tell you, there are so many great stories and things that God teaches us through the life of David. You realize the Bible is not simply a systematic theology book, and for that we say amen. You ever read systematic theology? It's, it's hard to read sometimes, but that's not what the Bible is. It is a story, it's a history of God's dealing with mankind, with his creation. And David gives us some tremendous insights into the heart of God. We, a couple weeks ago we talked about freedom to glorify God in good times and in bad. One of the things I've loved hearing is how people are processing that word. People have said, you know, Pastor, as I walk through this situation, this health problem, or my financial challenge, I've been asking that question. Okay, things are not as I want them today. How do I glorify God right here, right now, in my situation? It's a great question. David asked that question. Also, we talked about last week about the freedom to believe God for big things, like big giants, right? They, David and Goliath, and David was able to look at this giant, which terrified every normal fighting man, but David saw it through the eyes of faith. Instead of, now he looked at the giant straight on, right? He didn't say there's no giant, there's no giant. He looked at the giant straight on, and then he said, you know, this is a really small giant. Because my God, imagine God looking down, you think God was thrown off by Goliath? Oh, no, he's really big. No, God looks down, and David took it from God's perspective and looked at that giant and said, he's going down. 
I can take him with the power of God in me, which of course he did. So freedom to believe God for big things as we take a hard look at our giants, but we take a harder look at our God, a longer look at our God. And when we see things from his perspective, we have faith to take on giants. And this morning, my message is freedom to sin. You'll figure it out in a little bit. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. I'll read that one more time. In the spring, at times when kings go off to war, King David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. So who is this David character? Who is this guy that the Bible's writing about here in 2 Samuel? Well, we know him as a shepherd boy, right? The shepherd boy who was out on the hillside singing psalms to the Lord, caring for his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He was a shepherd boy. I also realized it was those same hills of Bethlehem where other shepherds a thousand years later received the proclamation of the Christ child on the hills surrounding Bethlehem. He was a shepherd boy. David was also the shepherd boy who was anointed by the prophet Samuel. When the prophet came in to find the new king, Saul had been set aside. They went through seven brothers, older brothers, and said there must be more. David comes off the, from the field, and Samuel goes, that's the guy. That's our man. He's the anointed shepherd boy to be king. And hear God's words to, at this point, at this juncture. Samuel's looking through his eyes, sees all these big, strong young men, but God says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What a powerful verse. It didn't matter how strong and how good-looking the brothers were. God was looking for a heart that was dedicated to him. And when he saw David, he said, that's my man. That's the heart. I can almost hear this Jewish mother Speaking of what a good boy. Uh, Ron, you, you got some Jewish blood in you. What, what did she sound like? Well done, Ron. Thank you. I couldn't do it that well myself, so I had to call in. Ron, so he's a good boy. He's got a good heart. I mean, kind of guy you just want to hang out with. He just... Loved God. He loved people. David had a good heart, and God saw that good heart in him. Then we have David who fights and kills the giant Goliath. David, who as a young man is growing up, now he's not 12, he's probably 16. He's growing in strength. And you can just see the courage in him as he sees what God can do through a man whose heart is fully given to the Lord. 
you hear this verse where he's talking to the king and he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver for me from the hand of this Philistine. Pretty strong words, wouldn't you say? 16-year-old boy looking at a giant, he's going, we can do this. That's David. Then you have David who, after years of fleeing for his life, innocent, he's suffering, he's being pursued, he's certain he's going to die. Even though he's been anointed as king, he says, surely this guy's going to kill me. He's hiding in caves. Where do you go? He ends up going hiding with the enemy, with the Philistines, thinks maybe I can hide there. David is finally, it comes a day where David becomes the king of Israel. So you have David, shepherd boy, rags to riches. Shepherd boy becomes the king of Israel. He's got a palace, a gorgeous palace that is built for him in Jerusalem. The nations around him are subdued. There's peace. He's, he's found peace among the neighboring countries that he's subdued. The treasury is overflowing with gold and silver and pearls and all kinds of incredible gifts. And they lived happily ever after, right? I mean, wouldn't you think? Isn't this the end of the great story? All these bad things happen, and then he becomes king, and you can kind of hear the credits roll, and, and everybody's happy because now it's all perfect, and he's there as the king of Israel. And what I realized as I was looking at the scriptures, I said, David won the peace with surrounding nations. He won the war with the inner people within Israel where he becomes king. But there was still a war raging for David's heart and soul. That David was still a man that had to win the battle within. And I think my, what I have for us today is that all of us understand that battle within. We all know that but really the, the toughest battle you're ever going to fight is in your mind and in your heart. It's not so much the battles we face in this world as challenging as they may be. But the real battle that we have to face and win in this world is that battle for lordship in our lives, that battle for, for who will win that war of our heart and of our minds. And as I've said before, we are at war. And David, I think, forgot that he was at war. He sent his men out. He was hanging back at the palace. And I want to just say that, you know, we, we have this cute little statement that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which is very true. And I believe that, that God does love you. And God has a great plan for your life. He has a plan for each and every one of us. It's different. And the great challenge of life is finding out what is God's plan for my life and how can I walk that out. But in the same method, we have an enemy who we call Satan, who says Satan has a plan for our destruction. There is a plan saying, where is their weak area and how can I take you down? And you know, Satan tried to defeat David by having him overlooked as a shepherd. Maybe they'll choose the wrong one. Didn't work. He tried to kill him in a battle with Goliath. I'll send him against a, a big giant. That didn't work. 
How about the fights with the Philistines? Surely at some place, some arrow is going to reach him and kill David. Nope. How, how about the hand of Saul? Saul threw javelins at him. I mean, he wasn't fair. He was eating at his table. Couldn't have been too far away. You have this warrior throwing a javelin, six into the wall. That didn't work. How about we starve him to death in the wilderness? Just send him out where he just was going to die of starvation. No. Or we'll just beat him into depression and despair. None of that worked against David. They all, all their plans failed miserably. So then Satan tried a new tactic. We're going to have David wildly succeed. How's that for a tactic? We're going to have him succeed. And there's a great verse that talks about that. Proverbs 39. I'm going to just shift it around a little bit here. And the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, poverty, or lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Now may I say, I am not preaching against God blessing you financially. I believe that God wants to bless us. He wants to take care of our needs. But the risk is, with financial blessing, and as a world, when we look on a worldwide level, folks, we are blessed. I just want to tell you, you may be struggling financially, but we are blessed as a nation. When you look, for those of us who have traveled, especially into poor areas and what's going on around the world, we are a blessed people. We, we live in an area, most of us, I would say probably all of them, most of us have food every day. Most of us have a roof over our head. We have a bed to sleep in. We have the ability to travel. God has blessed us tremendously. And with that blessing comes the other side of the temptation. With it comes a self-pride that says, I don't really need God. I'm okay without God. I can do this on my own. Look at the kingdom that I have built. Now, hear me again. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe God wants to use us to, to flow his resources through us and bless us. Amen? That's an easy one to say amen to. We want to be blessed. But there are dangers that come with tremendous blessing. And that's where the scripture says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? I was talking to somebody recently and they're saying, well, you know, I did this, and this was my work, and I made this, and I did this. And I'm like, be careful. Be careful before you put it too much on you, because that can be gone in a heartbeat. One stroke, one car accident, one anything. And our life can be turned upside down. And we live and breathe by the grace and strength of our Lord. May we always give thanks to him for any successes and any blessing that God puts our way. And you know, David had it all. Shepherd boy, right? Living on a hillside. Riches. He's got a storehouse full of gold. Power. They say his kingdom extended, estimate 13,000 square miles, which is a lot in that area of the world. Military success. Nobody could stand up against this guy. Women. He had a harem. Wine, women, and song. I mean, this guy had it all, right? 
added on to that, this is what really gets me, added on to that was a vibrant relationship with God. So he wasn't just a pagan who had it all. He was a man of God who had it all. I mean, this guy was on top of the world, literally. And we get back to our verse. Back to our verse of 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. Yet, rather than lead the nations of Israel into battle when kings go off to war, as David had done so many times before, David delegated the leading of battle to one of his generals, Joab. David stayed at home in Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Bible doesn't really say. Maybe he went, hey, I'm David. I'm big stuff now. This nation needs me, and I better stay back home in my safe palace and let those other guys. I've, I've served my time. I've done my work. It's time for other people to fight the battle. I remember hearing about a YWAM missionary had done a lot of ex exploits for like 40 years. And they were saying to him, when will you pass on the torch? He said, the day I die. I like that. He said, I'm going to light a lot of people's torches. I'm going to mobilize people to change the world, but I'm not passing on my torch till I, my final breath. And I thought, I think I like that. He didn't just say, I, I, I've had enough doing those hard things. I'm just going to let those other young bucks do it. But David passed the torch on to Joab and stayed back at the palace. Maybe David was just getting older. You know, we get older and we get tired. And we don't quite have the, we got to, you know, take the kingdom that a 20-year-old might have. Maybe David just said it's time for somebody else. But David stayed home alone, and as we know the story, he fell into sin with Bathsheba. I want to just say, what happened to him? How did this great, incredible Man after God's own heart, rags to riches story. How did this guy get picked off? Well, first of all, we see that David let down his guard. You know, maybe he thought, I'm David. I'm the great warrior. I could never sin this way. If you ever hear some leader say, Well, that would never happen to me, say, Be careful. David let down his guard. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, I love this, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands, I stand, I'm strong, doing strong, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, which means be careful, be on your guard, watch out, buddy, take heed lest you fall. So Scripture tells us, if you think you stand, be careful. Because no one is above sin. David let down his guard. Maybe he thought it could never happen to me. Second thing, David was alone. He did not prepare for times of temptation. He was alone. In the sense that he sent off his general, he sent off all the fighting men off to the front, and then it says he got up from his couch, so David was taking a nap. Warriors are out fighting, and David's taking a nap out in the palace. I don't know if it's biblical or not, but we hear, you know, idle hands, the devil's workshop. Well, there's some truth to that. 
the man was just kind of hanging out. Everybody's off to war. He's just wondering what to do. And he was alone. And may I say that I will continue to fight that we are not alone. Americans are really good at being alone. They're really good at separating from each other and having this, really in Minnesota, I see it as much as anywhere, there's a superficial friendship. But when do we get to a deeper level where there's somebody that can stand with you in your moment of battle? When you're walking through a depression, when you're walking through a temptation, when you're trying to figure out what to do with a marriage that's struggling, who walks with you? Life is a team sport, and we desperately need each other. I joined in and went and visited the men's group this Friday at McDonald's. There's a men's group at 625 every Friday morning. You're invited. And they have a little devotional time to begin with and then separate into groups to pray for each other. It's not rocket science, but it's powerful. It saves lives that we realize we're not alone because alone we get picked off. And I just get sick and tired of watching Christians getting picked off. And I so desperately want to see us be a church that will get beneath the surface and be there for each other. And I find that when we can walk in the light and open our struggles, what we find is that everybody else goes, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm struggling. Oh, yeah, yeah. These are not, I mean, there's only a list of so many sins, right? There's so many things. I mean, and most of us have struggled in all ways. We need each other to stand. We'll say, yeah, brother, but let's go on towards Christ. Let's walk in righteousness. David was alone. And then David engaged the temptation. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, from taking a nap, and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent out messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, so David sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. Now, the Bible leaves gaps in the Scripture. It doesn't really explain everything to us. But in those days, bathing was not as private as it is today. No indoor plumbing, hot area, and so people would often bathe on the rooftop. The Scripture talks about a law that actually says you have to build a fence around your rooftop so that people don't fall off it. So people would walk on roofs, and really, in a normal setting, a two-story roof with a fence around that you could bathe on the rooftop in privacy in most situations. In the Dominican Republic, you have people, I mean, people need to bathe, right? They want to be clean. This is a universal desire, and women would bathe in streams. There were areas set aside for women to bathe in, and we didn't have the privacy that we have today in America. So David would have lived in a palace, which would have had walls much higher than everybody else. And David gets up from his nap, looks out through his windows, and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing down below. And David was tempted. 
I mentioned something about temptation. David was tempted. And I'll say very clearly, temptation in and of itself is not sin. The fact that David looks down and sees a beautiful woman bathing and has a temptation, at that point, sin had not yet stepped in. And I think we have to just speak it clearly that temptation, a sexual desire towards a naked, beautiful, bathing woman, was not sin in and of itself. I've heard it said that, you know, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building nests in your hair. In David, that bird flew overhead, and then David, you could just see him at the window. The first look, the second, the third, the thought, what am I going to do about this? And so he inquires. He began to imagine himself. Began to imagine what could happen. And he took action upon it. He didn't just walk away. And what does he say? He says, who is that woman? He inquired about her. And they say, this is Bathsheba, names her father. And then they do something the Bible rarely does. He said, this is the daughter of the wife of Uriah. It doesn't often mention the people as their spouses. They said, the wife of Uriah. This is a friend saying, David, David, the wife. This woman is not yours. This woman belongs to another man. This woman is off limits to you, David. She's somebody else's wife. And not only somebody else's wife, but Uriah. Remember Uriah? Uriah is listed as one of David's 30 mighty men. This is a man that had been with David from the beginning. He'd slept in caves with him. This man had put his life on the line for David. He'd done exploits. I mean, this is one of the guys that would lay his life down for David. David, this is one of your buddies, Uriah. He was a commander of a division known for exploits and services to King David. And David could have, David should have, stopped right there. I've entitled the sermon, The Freedom to Sin. But we also have the freedom to walk in righteousness. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he'll also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And I think that was very true in David. They said, David, the wife of Uriah. And David should have had that wake-up moment and would have gone, of course she is. Yes, yes, I, uh, I remember Uriah, a fine soldier, that guy. Yeah, he's risked his life for me many times. Yeah, my buddy, uh, one of my loyal captains. David could have just breathed a deep breath and gone, you know, uh, had someone throw some water on his face, something. Called for one of his seven or eight wives. Called for his concubine. David had options, righteous options, ways of escape. But David chose sin. David chose poorly. 
James 1.15 says, When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. You know, David just blew through all the stops. We can identify with David. We understand temptation. We understand sin intrinsically. And David blew through the stops. He could, you never hear David stopping to pray about what to do right here. And David got on his knees and sought the Lord. I don't think so. You don't see David seeking counsel. Brothers, what should I do here? Somebody pray with me. I'm walk, I've got a, a situation that's really taking a grip on me. You don't see any of that at all. David didn't go take a cold shower. David called for Bathsheba. His passion, his pride, his desires, his lust took over. And Proverbs 6 describes this quite well as, as an ox going to the slaughter. He just... He knew what he wanted, his lust took over, and he sinned. He summoned Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then sent her home secretly. Surely no one had seen, and no one will know. You ever thought that? David thought that. Nobody's going to see, nobody's going to know. The problem with that rationale is that God had seen, and God knew. Bathsheba became pregnant with David's child, so now the plot thickens. Now Bathsheba's got a problem, because hubby Uriah's away at war. She's pregnant. People can count nine months. A pregnant woman, not by her husband, could easily be stoned to death in Israel. Bathsheba's got a serious problem. So she sends word to the king and says, hey, um, I'm pregnant. Now David's got to say, okay, now how do I cover this sin? It's becoming more complicated. So he has this bright idea, I'll call Uriah back to bring messages from the battlefront. So they bring back Uriah from the front back to Jerusalem to bring news of the war, and David gets him drunk and sends him home. But Uriah is such a man of high integrity, he won't go to his wife. He says, how can I go find pleasure with my wife when... My friends, those fellow soldiers are out there on the battlefront. I mean, this guy is a good guy. And David's going, this is not working. So he takes it up another notch, which is what sin does. You know, now, we get, now he's got to take it to another notch, and he has Uriah, his friend, his loyal soldier. He has the man killed. And the man is killed. And David breathes some guilty sigh of relief and goes, Still, no one will know. But God knew. And sends Nathan. And Nathan walks in. I mean, this guy had to have courage. I don't know what it would be like to go to the king, but he goes to the king, tells him this sweet little story, tells him about someone who takes a little lamb from a man that only had one lamb, and then when, it be, when David gets all upset, he turns and says, Thou art the man! He nails him. Okay, confronted with his sin, David still had options, right? My question is, what do you do when you're confronted with sin? Be it the conviction of the Lord, be it through a friend, be it through reading the scriptures, and all of a sudden you go, 
I'm guilty here, and I don't want anyone. What do you do with your sin? Well, David had options. He could have denied it. He could have said to Nathan, you're a crazy prophet. Get out of here. I don't know what you're talking about. Didn't happen. Not true. Could have denied it. Or how about this one? He could have blamed the victim. That's pretty popular in our society today. Blame the victim. Say, you know what? It was not my fault. I mean, she was bathing right there in, in plain sight. She was obviously, you know, wanting me to see this is all her fault. I'm just a guy. You know, what was I supposed to do anyway? It's her fault. Or he could have just dismissed it. I could just see the king today saying, chill out. I'm the king. I do what I want. I'm over this kingdom. I take who I want. I do what I want. I'm above the law. I'm the king. Just, hey, it's not that big a deal anyway. But fortunately, David finally chose wisely. I love these words where he says to Nathan, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it. He repented. I just want to read quickly Psalm 51. He didn't deny it. He didn't dismiss it. Here, just read some of these scriptures. I'll bounce a little bit here. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This guy is owning it. And he's saying, God, I've sinned, I'm guilty, I'm responsible, and I call upon you to cleanse me. Twelve, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Verse 16, you will not delight in sacrifice, I'd give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What I want to leave with you this morning is repentance is an incredible, wonderful gift of God. When we mess up, we have an answer. We have a way to turn to God. And may I just say that when we mess up, turn to God and own your sin. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, everybody's doing it, or this is our culture, or, you know, I didn't really know. I made a mistake. I love these words. I actually hate these words. You know, I made a mistake. Where are some people that will just say, I was wrong? I was selfish. I did wrong here. And we need to do that with God. We also need to do that with each other. When you mess up, it is so hard. I'll speak in my marriage. It's hard for me when I think it's a 50-50 problem. And I'm wrong, but, and whenever you say that word but, you erase everything you've just said before that. You know, I was wrong, but you need to know that. And that may be even true, but that's not your responsibility. We have to own our sin. David didn't say, Lord, I sin, but she was there, and she was, you know, he didn't get that. 
He just got to own his own sin and repent before God. See, repentance has sorrow and regret. It's a turning around. Repentance talks, it's a turning around, but not just turning around and not doing whatever anymore. It's turning around to God. And why is it that when we sin, what we tend to do is, like Adam and Eve, we hide from God and cover ourselves, but we turn away from him. What God wants for us when we mess up, not if we mess up, when we mess up, right? When we mess up, when our attitudes are wrong, when we choose sin, God says there is forgiveness for our sins. Turn from our ways and turn towards the Lord. And that's what David did. That's why he's such a great example for us. He repented. And God accepted his repentance. And may I say that to us as well. When somebody repents to you, it also takes work on our part to receive their repentance. To say, I just saw a play this week, a beautiful marriage play. And as the woman, as the guy was repenting to, excuse me, as the woman was repenting to her husband, he said, I forgive you. And that takes strength as well, because what if it happens again? What if they keep? But they had to stop and say, I forgive you. Not, well, we'll see if you change. Or not, maybe in time. Or maybe. I realize it's a process, but we have to learn how to forgive and wipe the slate clean. And David repented towards the Lord. And what we see, the beauty is, is David is still called a man after God's own heart. That he, it wasn't because he was perfect. It wasn't because he got it always right. It's because in every stage of life, he turned back towards the Lord and opened his heart before God and found a God that is more than willing, that his grace is bigger than any sin, any failure in our lives. I said we are free to sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. There are consequences of sin that goes unrepented. But we are also free to love the Lord. We are free to serve each other. We are free to walk in obedience to God's command. Worship team, come on up. My desire is that this message is a message of hope and life and freedom. The scripture talks about all of us as being sinners, none righteous. And the question is, when we sin, the beauty is that God gives us a way out. First of all, a way out that we don't have to keep sinning. But when we fail, there is a way of freedom and healing and redemption. And that comes through true heartfelt repentance and turning towards the Lord. Let's not be those American Christians that make excuses for everything or try to find somebody else to blame. That does not bring freedom. Freedom really comes when we learn to own our sins repent before God and find that his forgiveness is more than enough. Amen?
Let's find that freedom. We want freedom this year. And part, one of the keys to freedom is walking in openness and honesty before the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are not God up there with a big club that's waiting to beat us up. But that you are Christ himself who bled for our sins, who paid the price so that we can be free. God, there's no freedom without forgiveness of sins. And Father, part of that forgiveness of sins comes as we open our heart to you as our Savior. But Lord, even as Christians, we need to walk in a daily cleansing. And Father, I pray that you would bring increased forgiveness among us as families, husband and wife, parent and children, that, Father, we would be among those who would own up to where we fall short. And we'd also be those who would extend forgiveness where others have caused us harm. God, help us to walk in the freedom that comes through repentance and forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have come to set us free. Bring freedom to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being together this morning. If uh, you'd like someone to pray with you, if you've never opened your heart to Christ, we have a ministry team that's right, going to be right over here. Love to.